0: Good morning. Well, as you said, my name is Brandon, one of the pastors here. Uh, we have something uh, special, exciting to talk about and to do at the end of our gathering today. And so the word of the day for me is brevity. We'll see. As I said, we're in a series in the Gospel of John. Uh, and here's where we began last week. We said that John was writing to be persuasive, to try to compel people to believe that Jesus is the divine Christ the Son of God. And last week he gave an introduction, the, the first part of chapter one, an introduction to who Jesus is, and then he's going to move forward and, and give a series of signs or proofs or evidences that what he said about Jesus is true. And this week we get the first of John's signs, the first proof, the first piece of evidence, and it comes in the context of a conversation. A conversation where John the Baptist, who is not the author of the book of John, but John the Baptist is asked a simple and yet profound question. Who are you? Who are you? One of life's most profound and yet simple questions. Who are you? How you answer that question is going to reveal how you see yourself, what you believe to be most true about you. This week, our staff, uh, not just Sojourn Heights, but our Sojourn Houston staff, we went to uh, a cemetery and walked around and we looked at the dates on there, and I know how creepy that sounds. But there is nothing that will remind you of the brevity of life like reading 1809 to 1830 on a headstone. And there is nothing that will remind you or make you think deeply on the triviality of how we spend so much of our time like the three-word or the three-sentence statements on those headstones. Because those three words, those three sentences, they get written down on headstones reflect, uh reflect, reveal what these people believe to be most true about their lives. A couple of examples, a common one, uh, beloved wife and mom. So not the only true thing, but the truest thing about me was my role in my family. Here's another one. This is actually one from the cemetery we're at. It says, wish I'd have worked harder. Wish I'd have worked harder. The truest thing about me is that I didn't make enough out of my life. I didn't do enough with my life. The same being true for us, that if we had three words or three sentences to write down on our headstones, what we would write down would reflect what we believe to be most true about who we are. Some of us would love what we have to say. Some would not. But whatever we would write down, it would be revealing as to how we see ourselves. Who are you? It's a penetrating question that they ask John, and John's answer is going to tell us and take us to what is most true about him and what is most true about you. It will take us to the truest thing about John and the truest thing about you. And So let's dive into the conversation. Let's dive into the scene and see how John answers the question, who are you? Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So here's our question. Who are you? So let's talk about who's, who's asking. These were Jews who sent priests and Levites. Uh, Jews think Israelites from the Old Testament. Priests and Levites, the, these were the uh, religious leaders in the community. The Levites were kind of the assistants to the priest at this time. And what's happening is that people are leaving Jerusalem, going from Jerusalem out to John the Baptist, which we'll see in a minute, to be baptized by him. And so they are sending people out there to go investigate, to go find out what's going on out there. Did they feel threatened? I don't know. Maybe. like We're, we're the religious establishment, and our people are leaving us, going out to this new guy on the scene out there to be baptized by him. Were they just curious? What's going on? Who is this person? Why? Why do people in Jerusalem find him so compelling that they're going out there to him? Well, the text doesn't say, at least not explicitly, but I would presume that's probably a combination of both, which is why they're sending people out there, in particular these religious leaders, to say, hey, who are you? And the way he answers is telling both about himself and about the people who are asking. So let's look at it, verse 20. He confessed, and did not deny, but he confessed. That's, that's emphatic repetition in the Scriptures. He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. You see, I, I think in his answer, what he's doing is revealing what their real question was. And He's saying, I, I am not the Christ. I am not the one that you've been waiting for. These people who are coming out asking him, they've been waiting for Messiah, waiting for his Savior, waiting for the Christ to show up, and he knows that, and so he starts right out with, listen, I am not him. I am not the Christ, and so they keep going. Verse 21, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? So they keep pressing the question, who are you? And they say, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he says, no. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not the prophet. So why Elijah? Why the prophet? Why, why those two figures, both out of the Old Testament, uh, Does he say? do they say, okay, if you're not the Christ, then are you these two people? Well, here's how the Old Testament ends. Here's the last paragraph, Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Elijah was this Old Testament figure who was a prophet, somebody who spoke on behalf of God. Second King says that he was taken up into heaven, that he didn't die, and they expected that at some point he would return, that at some point he would make his way back onto the scene and it would precede this day that is to come. But then there's the prophet. Who is the prophet? Well, this is from Deuteronomy 18. It says, I will raise up for you then a prophet like you, that's like Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. They expected this to be fulfilled. They expected there to be a day where there would be This prophet, the prophet, one like Moses, who would show up, who would speak God's words to them. They looked for this day. They thought this day was coming. So they say, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not him either. So here's the point. While the text does not say explicitly why they were asking, are you Elijah or are you the prophet? I think that we have enough data to know this. Enough data to know that they expected something significant to be happening right here. That whatever was going on, this is major and this is significant. This could upend religion as we know it. This is potentially paradigm shattering. It is significant enough that we need to go out and investigate what's happening. This is not just some little thing happening out there. It's something we need to know what is going on. And you can feel the angst and then repetition. Okay, then who are you? Listen, we, we have to give an answer to the people who sent us. We can't come out here, talk to you, and go back and not have an answer for them. So what do you say about yourself? Who are you? We need to know. We need to know. And so now John is going to give them an answer, just not one that they were looking for or expecting. Verse 23. He said to them, I am the voice. Of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, What do I say about myself? You ask. Who am I? What what do I have to say about who I am? Here is who I am I am a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I am a voice crying out in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. This is him quoting Isaiah 40 back to them. Why does it matter he's quoting Isaiah 40? Well, here's the deal. Here's why. Isaiah is divided into a few sections. Isaiah 1 through 39, one section. The next section begins in chapter 40. Chapter 40 was written to Israelites that were in exile in Babylon, men, women, and children that had been ripped from their homes, taken into exile into Babylon, and it's saying, listen, life is not going to always be like this. There is this divine restoration coming. There is going to be an era, a time of restoration coming when you will no longer be in exile, but you'll be brought home. That day is coming. And when that day gets here, it will be global, it will be cosmic, and it will be like nothing you have ever seen before. That day is coming. And so here's what John is saying when he quotes back Isaiah 40 to them. He is saying, listen, that day is here. The day is here. That time, that period, that era, that thing that you have been waiting for, it is here. But listen, I am just a voice here to tell you about the word who is bringing that day in. I am not the one who is bringing about this divine restoration. I am simply a voice for the word who is bringing in this divine restoration into our world. That is who I am. Listen, I was in counseling 10 years ago or so, and my counselor, like second, third session, just daggers to my heart, pulls up this text, reads this passage, and says, you know, Brandon, you know what I think? I think if they'd have asked you, who are you, you'd have pulled out your resume walk through the, hey, I've got this, I have did this, I did this, I've got these degrees, I am qualified to be doing what I'm doing. And John the Baptist just says, no, I'm nothing more than a voice here to tell you about the word, bringing about restoration into our world. But here's a question for you. He could have said, he could have said this, I'm a voice crying out, the Lamb of God is here. I mean, he's about to say that, right? He's about to say the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here. Why did he not just say, I'm a voice crying out, the Lamb of God is here. Why did he say, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Here's why. There's some imagery happening right here speaking of the clearing of a road in the wilderness. So if a king is going to come to your town, you, you, you have to go out and you have to clear the trees out of the way to make a road so the king could come to your town. In other words, you had to get out there and you had to get the obstacles out of the way so the king could make his way to them. Remember that John is trying to write this letter to persuade people. He writes this theologically complex and rich letter in an effort to persuade and compel people to believe that Jesus is the divine Christ, the Son of God. And one of the groups he's writing to are Jews, and he is writing to them to try to persuade them to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so in doing so, here's what he's saying to them. He's saying, listen, I want to give you signs. I want to give you proof. I'm going to get there in just a minute, but I can't start by talking about the proof. I've got to start talking about you because you have obstacles in your way to believing and receiving what I'm about to say. And we need to clear the obstacles out of the way so that you can hear who He is. Because listen, I want you to believe. I want you to know. I want you to see. I want you to see Him. But if you don't see yourself, you won't see Him. I want you to see. But I can't begin with Him. I have to begin with you. Before I can show you who He is, I need to show you who you are. Which is why the text goes where it goes and the scene goes where it does now. Verse 24. The Pharisees, this is a sector, a group of the Jews, and they come out and they're asking him this question, why are you baptizing? Okay, if you're, if you're not one of the ones that we were expecting to show up, you're not Elijah, you're not the Christ, you're not the prophet, then why are you baptizing? But I think th- there's a deeper question that they're asking because that's kind of the surface layer. The real question is why are you baptizing Jews? Why, why are you baptizing our own people? Because baptism was a, uh, a a conversion and cleansing ritual that when the Gentiles, when non-Jews, non-Israelites would convert from uh, worshipping their God to worshipping the God of Israel, they would be baptized, symbolic statement of their uh, conversion and their cleansing, their acceptance, uh, accepting of and being acceptable by the God of Israel. So why are you doing this to us? Why are you doing this to our own people? And John's answer is this: that you need to see yourself in, as someone in need of the deliverance and cleansing that this Christ is going to bring. That the one that's among you, the one that is bringing this, you need to see that you, you are in need of the cleansing and deliverance that he is here to bring. You are like everyone else. There is not a man, a woman, or a child outside the need of the cleansing and the deliverance that this Christ is here to bring, and if you won't see yourself as in need of deliverance, you won't see the one who came to deliver you, which is just as true for us today as it was for them then. You see, here's the obstacle. Here's the barrier that had to be cleared. Pharisees didn't see themselves this way. They saw themselves as someone who uh, was here to teach others how to live uh, as the delivered people, live as the cleansed people. And they're coming to John and saying, are you you saying that we are in need of that same deliverance and cleansing? And John is saying, absolutely, that is what I am saying, that there is not a man, woman, or child outside of the need for the cleansing and deliverance that the Christ is here to bring. Not a single one. Not one. And so why am I baptizing? Because the one who would bring that cleansing and deliverance is here. Verse 29, the next day they saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, behold, look, one of John's favorite words, look, look, you got to see this. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How is this deliverance and cleansing going to happen? It's going to happen through a Lamb. A Lamb. It's going to happen through a lamb who would take away sin, a lamb who was vulnerable, who was killable, who came to die as a substitute for you and for me, who would be the sacrifice in your place and in mine, who would die so that you and I don't have to. He was the lamb, the sacrifice who died so that Isaac, Abraham's son, wouldn't have to. He was the Passover lamb who died so that Israel Israel would be delivered from slavery in Egypt, and he was the lamb of Isaiah 53, the lamb who was led to the slaughter, who is Jesus. He is the one who would come as a lamb to taste death so that you and I eternally don't have to. He is the one who in his resurrection would lead to the greatest exodus this world has ever known. Who in his resurrection would lead the greatest exodus this world has ever known from the most violent of Pharaoh's sin and death. And when you are his and he is yours, you are not simply delivered from something, but you are delivered into something, which takes us to the truest thing about you. Verse 32, And John bore witness, and I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And so here's the proof, here's the evidence, here's the sign that the spirit would come down as a dove and remain on him. He he is not just like some religious teacher and he's not just a prophet of old that the spirit would come onto for a season and then leave. He is the one whom the spirit would come and permanently remain on. And it came down as a dove. Why did it come down as a dove? Well, there's a lot of imagery going on here, but I want to highlight one thing. Do, do you remember Noah and the ark, the story of the flood back in Genesis? So the floodwaters come, they build the the ark, and now Noah is wanting to find out how the floodwaters receded. First he sends out a raven. Then he sends out a dove. And this would set up a contrast in the Scriptures between the dark and unacceptable raven, the unclean raven, and the white and pure, clean dove. And so when this dove comes down on him, It's a statement. It's a theological statement about the innocence, the purity, the acceptance of Jesus. The kind of cleanness, the kind of acceptability that only comes from God as God. About the divine nature of His. There's a lot going on in this imagery of a dove coming down. But one statement we know for sure it is a statement about the holiness and the purity of Jesus. Now let me tell you why that matters. Verse 33. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The same Spirit that came down as a dove and remained on him, fixed permanently on him, is the Spirit which Jesus baptizes you with baptizes you with the Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized with the Spirit? Here's what it means. It means that you have been united to the Son, which means you are not the unclean and unacceptable raven, but you are the white and pure dove. You are the white and pure, clean dove. It means that no matter your past, no matter your regrets, no matter how many thousand things you wish you could have a do-over in your life, you, you are, because of the red blood of Jesus, as white as a dove. Because of the red blood of Jesus, you are white as a dove. There was a headstone the other day. I didn't see it. One of our staff members and I did. It read this. I hope I was good. I hope I was good. You know what Jesus would say to you? You have my goodness in you. You don't have to wonder anymore. You don't have to wonder anymore. You don't have to hope anymore that because you've been baptized by my spirit into my life, you have all of the divine resources you need for life in you right here, right now, today. You you have all that you need to be agents of divine restoration right now, today, to live a spirit-empowered life right here, right now, today, to be agents pushing back darkness in the world today in Him Right now, it means that the truest thing about you, the truest thing about you is not how you would answer the question, who are you? It's how Jesus would answer it for you. The truest thing about you is not what you have to say about yourself, it's what Jesus has to say about you. That is the truest thing about you. The truest thing, your fundamental identity, it's not attorney, it's not mom, it's not project manager, it's not daughter, it's not friend, it's not roommate, it's not any other of the thousand things it could be, all of which might be beautiful and true things, but the truest thing is who you are in Christ. That is the truest thing about you. It is the single truest thing about you, washed clean, pure, white as a dove. It's why we plead with you to open up your life to men and women. It's not just be in what we call parishes. These groups of men, women, and children, that actually open your life up to one another. Because how easy do we forget? How easy is it to forget what is the truest thing about me? And I need you and you need one another to speak truth into one another so that we can remind ourselves what is the truest thing about us. The truest thing. Because when we forget, we will cling. I mean, we will cling to something. We will cling to our job. We will cling to our flame. We will cling to you fill in the blank for you. When the truest thing about you is what has happened to you in Christ. Listen, when John the Baptist, when when he answered the question, who are you? he, He answered in light of who Jesus is. Would you? Would you answer who are you in light of who Jesus is? Because when your answer is in light of who Jesus is, you begin to see yourself, you begin to see the world, and you begin to see the church difference. You, you do not simply see the church as a place to come and to learn or to get some moral, ethical teaching or to get your religious fix. You don't see it as a place to meet your needs provide programs or preaching or music or time slots or you fill in the blank that I want or I like but you begin to see the church as the place where the divine restoration that Christ came to bring is happening. The place where it's happening. The place where this divine restoration that Christ came into the world the word made flesh where he came to bring it's happening. You see it as the place the people where it's happening in you in us for the world. It redefines everything. It redefines everything. It redefines how you see yourself. You are not three divorces. You are united to Christ, pure, white as snow. By snow, I'm in a dove. It it is not rich, it is not homeless. It is united to Christ, washed, pure, white as a dove. It is not addicted. It is not depressed. It is white, pure as a dove. And the church, oh, the beautiful church. She is not just some place to meet your needs, but she is a community in which you participate in the divine restoration that Christ came to bring for the good of the person sitting next to you and for the good of the person who lives next to you. That's what the church is. This is where I want to ask you the question, who are you? How would you answer? But instead, I'm just going to remind you of how Jesus would answer it. Washed, pure, because of my red blood, white as a dove. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text and the chance to read it and to have it wash over us as a community today. Help us to believe. Help us to apply it and believe how it applies to our life. That we are not our failings. We are not our successes. Our core and primary identity is who we are because of what your son has done for us. Washed, pure, white as a dove. Help us to believe that. It is a fight to believe that we are prone to quickly forget, quickly find success, identity, and a thousand other things. Help us to remember that those things that are true about us can be good and beautiful, but they simply aren't the truest thing about us. Help us to live in light of what is truest about us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.